Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, my name is Carlos Rodriguez, and my wife Kathy and I have been attending here at Waynesboro FM for about a year and a half. It's time for our scripture reading, and today we're going to be reading from the Psalms, actually chapter 46 in the English Standard Version. The title of the psalm is God is Our Fortress. It's written to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a psalm. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on earth. He makes the wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, brother. Oh, my goodness, guys. I, I've missed this. I've been out of this pulpit for too long. There's a fire in my bones, and you're going to feel the heat today, Lord willing. Uh, guys, I'm uh, really grateful, first off, for, I mentioned this last week, we had Kirk Fuller come and preach, and then we had Joseph preach, and then last week we had Austin bring God's word, and my goodness, I've been encouraged by them, and not only that, but just really encouraged by our worship team this morning. Thank you, guys, and ladies, for serving on our worship team. What a blessing. If you haven't turned yet to Psalm 46, please do so, because we're going to be walking through it word for word. We've got a lot to cover, and, and apparently not too much time to do it. There's much, much to, there's much to enjoy in this text. So, I mean, can we, let's just start off this way, guys. We have such a great salvation, don't we? Like, we have been rescued from death. We've been rescued from sin. We've been rescued from eternal separation from God. Like, like, like it's an incredible gospel that you and I get to enjoy that we find out in this book, that we find out from the person and work of Jesus. But guys, when we talk about our rescue, you realize that that's not the whole gospel though, right? Like that rescue is on the way to something. It's on the way to something greater even. Right? And, and, and I'm going to put this before you, and, and it'll make sense when I say that, because right now it sounds like heresy. Wait, you're saying there's something greater than our rescue? 
relationship with God. It's why we were rescued. It's why you and I were brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It's to live with the king in the kingdom. The whole gospel that we get to believe and preach and enjoy is a gospel that says we have been rescued from our sin and death and brought back into relationship with the God who made everything. Like that's this good news, guys. We, we, uh, uh, when we were doing VBS a few weeks ago, I, was, I had the privilege of working with the kids on a missions moment. And, and one of the things that we would do every day, twice in the day, twice in that moment, we would say what the gospel is. It's a, just a brief saying, and it says, Jesus did everything needed to save us from our sin and bring us back to God so that we can have relationship with God again. Guys, I see too many Christians wielding the gospel in a way that kind of just says, hey, you want a, a clear conscience? Believe in Jesus. Like, uh, you, you want to be right with God? Yeah, just get on his good side by, by believing in his son, right? Like, like no, 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 no. That's, that's, they, they, they want the promises of the king, but they don't want the king himself. Guys, my greatest fear, I mean, I, I can't think of a greater fear that a pastor might experience apart from standing before the throne of God and being given account of his ministry. Uh, uh, my greatest fear as a pastor is having a bunch of Christians who think the Christian experience is attending a service on Sunday, doing night, something nice for someone every now and then without actually experiencing friendship with the Godhead that Jesus died to secure for us. Guys, Jesus defines eternal life in John 17 as getting to know God for eternity. Eternal life is relationally, experientially knowing God. Is what Jesus says eternal life really is. It's not just simply getting to live forever, which everybody else wants, right? No, we get God forever. That's our main privilege as disciples of Jesus. We get God again. We get to relate to him again. We get to enjoy him again. And yet, that seems to be the very thing that receives our primary neglect. It's the relationship with God. And I don't think it's because we don't want him. I don't think it's that. I don't think it's because uh, we're just annoyed with God. I think, more likely... It's because we just don't know how to approach him. We don't know how to relate to him well. We, we look at our relationships in the world and we think, well, that must be how we do it with God. It's how we relate to him. No, 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 I don't, I don't think we would neglect this because we don't want him. I think it's because we just don't know how to relate to God. And so that, among many other reasons, is why we're in the book of Psalms for this whole summer. The book of Psalms being a, a compilation of a bunch of different poems and prayers Ooh, thank you. Time out. Yeah, oh, look at you. That's a quick pit stop. Thank Luke. Right, let's go. Guys, 
I think it's because we don't know how to relate to God well. And, and that's why we're in the book of Psalms, because Psalms is a bunch of, of poems that, 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 that come out of a bunch of different circumstances that the human being might go through. And it's there where they, we find out how we can potentially relate to God again. It, this shows us ways that we can, we can be like, oh, here's how I can talk to God. Here's how I can relate to him. Like, like, no matter the circumstance, like, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of circumstances that you can find in the book of Psalms that, uh, that, that help us pray or help us relate to God. So like, like, for example, when you're seeing wicked people prosper out in the world and, and you're seeing righteous people suffering, there's a Psalm for that. There's a way to talk to God about that. Or, or what about when, when you are in trial after trial, storm after storm, and you're asking the question, God, how long is this going to last? There's a psalm for that. We read it last week. Guys, even, even when, like the, the psalm that we're going to be in today, there's a way that we can know how to relate to God when the world gives way. When things fall out beneath us. Today we're going to find out a way in how we can relate to God when the world shakes and gives way and when enemies are knocking at the gate. How do we relate to God then? Guys, I think this is an incredibly timely psalm. I think it's incredibly timely because has our, not world, has our world not been shaking the last two years? Have we not been in tumult, in trial? Guys, we've, we've, we've had so much happen. So many things going on in the last two years that, that beckon the question, how do we relate to God in this? We've had pandemics, we've had, we've had death and loss, we've had divisions within marriages and within families and within societies and within in nations. We see wars going on all over the world. We see genocides, we see natural disasters. Guys, do you not remember we just had a tornado walk down 250 a few months ago? And what about when the enemies are at the gate? What about when people are coming against us? How do we relate to God then? As this is, this is pretty appropriate for the last two weeks, is it not? Because of us, we who, with sobriety, celebrated the overturning of Roe versus Wade, and, 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 and now we're being vilified by the vast majority of a society who wants us to not have any voice in the public square, and they're threatening Christian pregnancy centers. Christian pregnancy centers have been firebombed and terrorized. How do we relate to God in that, well, Psalm 46 is going to help us know the way. It's going to give us the answer to that question by forcing us to ask ourselves three questions. And we're going to go through each one in each section. But the three questions are this. Where do I hide? Where do I hide? Where is my hope? And then the third question is, how is my heart? Where do I hide? Where is my hope? How is my heart? Now, we have pretty much no context for this psalm apart from the author and how it's constructed as a song. An alamoth is a type of song. It's written to the choir master. It's written by the sons of Korah. Korah having many sons, apparently, who were poets and songwriters, musicians. And they, they wrote 11 of the psalms that we have in Scripture. But we don't know the context, what was going on in their lives or in Israel's life in order for us to know what, what might stem this. But we, but we do know that there's a tone of crisis in this. And so it makes sense to, to put this potentially coming out of a, a time of crisis and trial and trouble. 
And we see the psalm broken up into three sections, which are divided by the word selah, right? And we'll talk about that in a minute. But we, f- we see the first section. It's sections one through, or verses one through three. And it's picturing a world collapsing. It's picturing a world collapsing. Did you notice that? It's kind of easy to just read through it and kind of put these off in the mind. Look at this. It says, though the earth gives way. Verse two, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. I don't know, but that sounds like trouble. That sounds like it's a time of trouble, right? And in and, and, and this first section, when trouble comes, the question that it's asking us is, where do I hide? That's the question that, that we need to be asking ourselves on the front end of this, where do I hide? When times of trouble hit, when the storms, billows roll in, when we're feeling weak, when we're feeling inadequate, when we're desperate and we need help, when we're in in a chaotic situation, when our strength is failing us and our eyes are growing dim, when the pain and the suffering just seem to be overwhelming each of us, where do I hide? Where do I hide? That's the question that you have to ask yourself when we're in Psalm 46. Where do I hide? And the reality is, I'm not talking about like a, a physical bunker underneath the ground in the back of your yard, right? Like I'm not talking about that. Like where do you hide with your heart? Where do you take your heart to go hide it? And the reality is, we all have our own refuge that we go use, that we go hide in. We all have them. We've all made them with our own lives. We all have those places or things that we go to in order to seek refuge from whatever's troubling us. We just do it. So, for example, I mean, some seek refuge from trouble with the overconsumption of food. Some people seek refuge from pain at the bottom of a bottle or in the high of a drug. Some people seek refuge I used to do this in receiving compliments from others or receiving their pity. Some people seek refuge by literally isolating themselves from the world, dropping all contact from everybody. Some people, and that's this one I'm currently guilty of, seek refuge in the mind-numbing provision that your phone brings you or the TV brings you, whatever screen you put in front of you, it numbs your mind. I promise you, those refugees, they don't work. They don't do what they're supposed to do. They just, they don't, right? I I actually, I'll I'll call them, they're not refugees, they're, they're pacifiers, right? What do you do when a baby's crying? You stick a pacifier in it. It's a, it's a fake. It's not the real thing. It's not going to provide them the sustenance that they actually need. It's just going to curb their hunger for a little while. But then they're going to need it again. Uh, uh, the, 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 the overconsumption of food, the, the, the bottom of the bottle, the drugs, like whatever it is, how, however we receive our refuge, whatever we run to, that's not God. It's, it's a pacifier. And it's not going to do what you need it to do. It just doesn't work. Guys, I'll just be honest with you. I've got a pacifier. I'll tell you about it. Uh, but first, let me ask, uh, those of you who have been able to experience parenthood, as a parent, have you, did you go through parenting never experiencing any kind of stress at all? 
I was hoping somebody would raise their hand so I could like find out how. So it's okay for me to say it then? My kids stress me out sometimes. <laughs> really, really, really. They stress me out sometimes, right? And you know, I actually have a refuge. It's my bathroom. <laughs> and my phone. I, when, I, I literally, just this past Sunday, was at home and was watching the kids for a while while Caitlin was out and I was getting stressed. And as soon as she came home, I wanted to run to that bathroom and hide and get on my phone because I was, I was this close to being done. Guys, it's like the only place where, where, where I can like reasonably lock the door and nobody's going to want to come in. Except that's not true because the kids always still want to come in, right? And they're sitting there. And it's not even safe because they're just sitting at the door. Dad, we want to play. Dad, it's dinner time. Dad, how much longer? I'm like, leave me alone. It just doesn't work as a refuge. It just, it just delays the stress. It doesn't deal with the stress. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you use your bathroom as a refuge, but I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that I'm not alone. I've constructed a refuge out of that, and it just doesn't work. Now, let me get a little bit more real. Uh, a few, uh, several years ago, I started pastoring a church, and uh, I was coming into a, a church that had some pretty poor financial situations going on and, and uh, a certain amount of debt. And the first year that I got there, in the middle of the year, uh, the, the finances were, were, were rough. And we were looking at the projections for the next year. And we were going to lose a ton of money. Money that we didn't have to lose. We didn't have a safe bank account somewhere where we could deal with the problem. We could curb the loss. And, and, and that stress and anxiety overwhelmed me. I've never felt stress like that before. Because it wasn't just simply like my fam family financial situation. Like this is a church. The people, like this is important. Like there's a ton of people involved in this. And so I, I, I my goodness, I felt stress like never before there, right? Like my eyes went blurry. The back of my neck heated up, right? I, I became dizzy. I couldn't even move. I was immobilized. And I sat there just like trying to figure out ways to solve the problem. Trying to figure out ways with, with my own strength and my own mind to, to address the issue and get past this moment and get past this trial. But I couldn't see any way out that worked well. And so I felt weak and I felt anxious and I was terrified. As the world as I knew it was falling out from under me. And things were going to have to change. And so in all of this stress, like of course you got to keep going through life. You can't just pause life and say, wait a minute. And so we keep going through life and, and, and I tell my wife later that day, like, babe, here's where I'm at. And you know, like God saw fit to bless me with a really godly wife. She only said one word or one sentence and it was... Have you taken this to the Lord yet? Nope. 
No, I, I haven't. I've been trying to figure it out all on my own. And so that afternoon, I went into the sanctuary of the church there and, and, I, and I sat down in the first row and I had my Bible and Holy Spirit just kindly met me there and brought me right to Psalm 46, a psalm that I wasn't too familiar with. And I sat there and I read it. And then I read it again. And then I, and then I read it one more time and then I prayed through it and then I sang through it and then I cried through it. And, 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 and as these truths got deeper and deeper into the convictions of my heart and what I actually believed and was wanting to experience in life, I can tell you that from that afternoon on, I've never felt stress like that again. I never felt any more anxiety about the issue at hand. Was it because some anonymous donor donated $500,000 and made the issue go away? No, the problem wasn't solved. Things weren't fixed but I had found the best refuge. I had found the best place to go and hide and it wasn't in my mind and it wasn't in my ability to problem solve. It was in God. I found the best refuge, the strongest place to hide. Look at verse one. God is our refuge and strength. He's a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth give way. Guys, we have to keep in mind one thing. When we talk about this, we're not just dealing with like our big emotions of stress and we're not just dealing like, like with the circumstances of a, of, of a bad diagnosis or something going on. Like what the context says, the world is falling apart. Like you can't think of anything greater than that. This is apocalyptic, right? The greatest threat is what this is talking about. Everything around you is collapsing physically. And when everything, when the threat is this big, we need a refuge even bigger, do we not? If a threat's only this big, we don't need a, we need a refuge bigger. We need a refuge comparable to our threat. And this is the greatest threat. Everything's giving way. Mountains. The earth, guys, those are two things. What are they typically images of? What do the mountains usually symbolize? Firmness, constancy. They're unshakable. They don't move, right? The earth, it's, it's just constantly in orbit. Like we wake up every day and we can say, oh, the earth's still here. How many of you have lived in Waynesboro at the foot of the mountains your whole life? Okay, Question. Have you ever seen them move? Has one of them not just kind of tinkle-toed off into the ocean over Bass Virginia Beach? They stayed there the whole time? Okay, I wasn't sure. Just checking. Picture that happening. Picture Camelback Mountain, or Humpback, sorry, and, 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 and Afton Mountain just, just falling over into the ocean. Picture it. The world's ending. And not only that, but they're falling into the ocean, the ocean being the very thing that's constantly moving, that's never steady, and ominously threatens everything. I was just there. It's threatening me still. I'm 32 years old. I still don't like it. Right? Guys, this isn't just simply like when we're having a bad day and we need a safe place to hide, or when we're having big emotions. This is a world in chaos. When the worst things imaginable are happening in the world, 
We need safety. We need a safe place to hide. So where are we supposed to hide? Where are we supposed to hide? It's God. It's why God is our refuge. God is the place to go hide in. That's why David calls him that in Psalm 62. Look at what it says. It's incredible. Talk about an own personal confession. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rest my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Then he turns to the people. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. That's why 25 times in the book of Psalms alone, God is called a refuge. He's called a stronghold. He's called a fortress. He's a place to go hide when the storm billows roll in and the enemies are marching against you. It's God. He's the refuge. Where do you go hide? You go hide in God. God, Guys, our true security, it's in God alone. It's not in God plus something else. So, so our security as Christians isn't just simply, hey, it's God and then all people's ability to compliment me and, and, and the fame and acknowledgement of people. Or it's not God plus uh, numbing my mind with my phone or television or that show, or binge watching, whatever. No, no, it's simply only God. He alone can be and is able to be our refuge. But not just a refuge. Look at what it says. Yes, God is our refuge and what? I can't hear you, church. God is our refuge and strength. He's our strength. Guys, when we're weak, when our body is failing us, when we're broken and we're poor in spirit, when we can't seem to keep pressing on, God makes himself available to be our strength, to be the energy working within us that empowers us for his things. Guys, Isaiah 40 says that God gives strength and power to the faint And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths grow weary and fall in exhaustion, right? Those those little human beings that seem to have endless energy, they fall in exhaustion. But those who hope and trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Brothers and sisters, God... God is offering to be our refuge, to be our strength. The world's offering the same. The world's offering all sorts of options that you can go hide in. And all sorts of sources of strength that you can try to energize yourself with. But as Charles Spurgeon puts it, he says this, all other refuges are refugees of lies. All other strength is weakness. For power belongeth unto who? God. But as God is all sufficient, our defense and might are equal to all emergencies. Even then our refuge shall preserve us from all evil. Our strength shall prepare us for all good. Amen? Guys, God is available to be our refuge, to be our strength, and to be, look at what else is in verse one, a very present help in trouble. Very present, it means he's always able to be found. He's not far off, he's always accessible, no matter what threat. 
You can always access his safety. You can always access his strength. Not only is he readily available always, but he's also enough, a very present, he's sufficient. No matter the situation, no matter the threat, he's always able to overcome. He's always enough. So this is who our God is. He's a refuge, he's a strength, he's a very present help in times of trouble. So then what does that do to our hearts? It kills all fear. It kills every fear. Look, look at what it says, verse two. Therefore, because of all of this, because of who God is, we will not fear when the earth gives way. We won't do it. Why? Because we're safe in God. We're strengthened by God. We have constant and sufficient access to our God, no matter the circumstance. Since that's the case, then our fears just, they just make no sense. There's really no place for them anymore when you truly believe this. So if I were to ask you the question, not where do I hide in the sense, well, what am I using currently? But what scripture says is the sufficient refuge. Where should we hide? What's his name? God. Where do we hide in God? So that's just the first section. And I've got a book it, y'all. So we're gonna, we're gonna really quick, look at, look at the end of the section. There's the word selah, right? The word selah, this is a song. And selah is a, it's, it's a, it's a word used in instrumentation and it means rest, it means pause. It means stop, be silent. It's a time to appropriate God's character, what we've, what we've been thinking about. So it's appropriate to, 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 to sit in silence before God. You know how sometimes two lovers sit silently before one another and they're just enjoying the other person? They don't have to say anything. It's like this, just, let's just enjoy God. So pause. Then we get to section two. In the next verse, verse four. Remember where we just came from? We came from a world in disorder, in chaos, things, everything falling apart, mountains jumping over into the oceans and waters roaring and foaming. And we come to a river, verse four. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. As this is the, this is the Old Testament's understanding of the New Testament's New Jerusalem, right? So this is the city of Zion. It's this, it, Revelation talks about it being the, this new city where there's this river that flows through the streets that comes from, it's sourced in the throne of God. And as people drink from it, it says here that they're, they're made glad. They're made glad. And when the mountains are moving and they're being tossed into the heart of the sea and the kingdoms are swaying, this city, this river will not be moved. Cannot be moved. Because God is within her. It says he helps her when morning dawns. Why the morning? Usually we think of our troublesome times as nighttime, right? Why wouldn't he be with her in the night? Well, that's because battles aren't fought in the nighttime. They're fought in the day. The battles start at dawn. In fact, if you can recall when Israel was exiting Egypt and they were being rescued out of slavery, they were going through the Red Sea and it was at dawn when God turned back the Red Sea and consumed the Egyptians. The greatest deliverance that Israel's ever known happened at dawn. God will help her when morning 
dawns, when the battle begins. Now we're looking in verse six at nations and kingdoms who are raging and they're moving and they're tottering. They're, they're unsettled. In fact, they're defiant against the Lord. And what does God do? What does it say? He says in verse 10 or six, he utters his voice. He speaks and the earth melts. Picture it. He needs no weapon. He needs nothing except his voice. His voice is like heat to wax. Like heat to the ice. God's voice which can create galaxies and form the earth can dissolve it in just a second. He speaks and the earth melts. I don't know about you, but I'll take him as my safe place. If he can do that, he just speaks a word and the whole world melts, I'm gonna go hide in him. He's probably the best place to go. And then look at this. This part ends with this shout of confidence from the authors, the sons of Korah, directing the Israelites. It says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. As the Lord of hosts, there's a few different ways you can understand it, but I think the most prevalent one is that he's the commander of angel armies. He commands armies and armies of angels. He's the Yahweh who has in his repertoire, in his armory, legions of angels. This is the God. That who, this is the God who's with us. <laughs> He's our fortress, meaning he's our stronghold. He's our high tower. He's the high defense that no one can get to. Now, I said that we've got three questions that we're begged to ask of ourselves in these different sections. So the first one was, where do I hide? The second one is, where is my hope? Where is my hope? In what am I setting my hope on? Where's my confidence? Is it in this world? Nope, it can melt away and one day will. Uh, is it in my, in, my, in my country? Is it in my nation? No, no, that can totter and rage and it can be moved too. No, where is our hope? It's in God's city. It's in this river. It's in this God who is within this city. It's this God who, who, whose waters make glad his people, who helps her when morning dawns. This city where all our loved ones who have gone before us who are in Christ are. The streets paved with pure gold, crystal is glass. You can't even, it's, it's an incredible scene. That's where I'm setting my hope. That country, that kingdom, not this one. Guys, I, I don't know if you're familiar with this book. It's a book called Watership Down. It's written by Richard uh, Adams and, and uh, I'll just give you the brief of it. Basically, it's a story of a bunch of bunnies who lived in a meadow, right? And, and all they saw coming in the meadow was gonna be future destruction and they knew they had to leave and they'd been hearing about this place called Watership Down and it was this incredibly beautiful place, this safe place for bunnies where there would be no threat and constant provision and so they decided that they were gonna journey throughout the world to get to Watership Down. And boy, did they come across trial after trial, threats, people wanting to kill them, also the hunter, the fox, all these things coming after them. And finally, at the nighttime, when they gather around the campfire to collect themselves, you know what they do? 
they tell each other stories that they heard about Watership Down. You remember what we heard about this? Remember what we're going for? Don't lose heart. Don't set your hope on, on what we've had in the past. Don't you set your hope on what you're seeing now. We're gonna get there one day. Just set your hope there. And you know what it did is it gave them courage every morning to wake up and keep pressing on and to keep believing because it's coming. So we don't set our hope in, in the world that can be shaken. We set our hope in heaven. Hope in the city of God. Selah. Then we get to part three. Starts off in verse eight. Starts off with an invitation. The invitation is, hey, come. Come, behold the works of Yahweh, our God. That's a neat invitation, right? It's one that we should do constantly. Like accept the invitation. Hey, what has God done in your life? What are the things he's done? It's a beautiful thing if you think about it, but what do we usually run to when we think about those things? Uh, come behold the works of God. Oh, I've got a car. I've got a house. I've got things that I need, right? Great, yeah. That's not what the psalm does. No, it's actually an invitation to come see some things that are quite morbid that he invites us into, right? Look at verses eight and nine. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Ugh. Wow. Come behold those works. Desolations. You know what desolations are? They're horrors. They're atrocities. They're waste and destruction. Like, like kind of what we see here. We see, we see all these things on fire. We see broken arrows and bows and shattered spears and chariots on fire. My goodness, that's a desolation. Guys, this isn't saying that God ends wars by instilling peace on both sides. You be peace. You be peace. Harmonize. No, he ends the war by decimating. You know that voice that he can speak and things melt? He breaks every weapon. He sets their chariots on fire so no one can escape. As we often read in God's word of armies that have come against the people of God in Israel, wanting to conquer them and wanting to plunder their goods. Uh, it's Second Chronicles, we see a, a, a king of Assyria named Sennacherib and, and he comes against Israel, against Jerusalem under the reign of King Hezekiah at that time. And we see Sennacherib, he brings an army of 185,000 soldiers, way too many for Israel to even handle at all. And so and, as Sennacherib is coming, Sennacherib, mocks their God, mocks our God, and, and says, not even your God Yahweh can deliver you from my hand. Oh boy. You know what happens next? King Hezekiah gets on his face before the Lord and says, God, our eyes are on you. I don't have a clue what to do, but I'm asking you to be the Lord of hosts, to be who you are and protect Israel. And you know what happens? God sends out one angel, just one, and 185,000 soldiers are dead. What an incredible victory for the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Well, you know, after the battle, right, things just don't like reset in a video game. It's all there. 
And so you know what the king of Israel does? Hey, Israel, come. Behold the works of our God. And as you enter onto the battlefield, you're stepping over corpses of enemies. And over there, there's a pile of chariots on fire and you see shattered spears and bows piled up there. And you keep watching your step as you walk across. And it's sobering. The invitation to come behold the works of God is to come see the battle that has been won for you. Come step outside for a minute. Come see what God has done. Oh, just watch where you step. And as as the Israelites are walking across the battlefield, walking over the wreckage, the aftermath of the destruction of war, and they're walking over the corpses of their slain enemies, the voice of God billows across the battlefield. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in all the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. You know that verse, right? You might have it on the front of your Bible or even like a devotional book. You might have it on a coffee mug that you drink from every morning when you're doing devotions because I'm being still, Jesus, right? What do we usually picture when we think of that verse, right? We think of this. Aw, that's nice and serene. Aw, the breeze in your face, the warm sun shining down on you. Be still in that moment and know that I am God, right? beautiful, right? Nope, context doesn't allow us to think that. The context forces us to think this. Yes, he is wearing clothes. (laughs) Guys, this is a painting from 1910 by German artist Hans Struck, and it's called The End of War. He painted it because he read Psalm 46, and he thought, man, this is what it means to come behold the works of God. Here, as you walk over the bodies of your slain enemies, as you see their weapons and chariots burning in piles of fire, in that moment, be still and know that I am God. Guys, this isn't a comfort for the harassed or the abused. It is a war cry of our God who's on the move. And as we hear this cry, as we see our enemies slain, we hear the clear conclusion, we hear the confidence repeated again, verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. You see, every true follower of Jesus leaves behind in their wake a path of destruction as they walk on a battlefield of already slain enemies. That's the reality of it. You're dead to sin anymore. Oh, so and I'm not talking about enemies like being your, your boss who's just a jerk. I'm not talking about your enemies being that neighbor who keeps throwing stuff over the fence or that troublesome brother or sister you can't just seem to get along with. No, your enemy is the old you. Oh, there's the old me, dead. Oh, oh there's the, the temptation that keeps coming up. Nope, it's dead. I keep giving it life, but nope, it's dead. Oh, there's, there's the, the, the pride that I seem to be struggling with. Oh, nope, it's dead too. That's the battlefield of the Christian. And as we keep advancing, we see more and more things lying dead in our wake. 
pride, envy, selfishness, idolatry. It's an incredibly beautiful blessing when God gives you glimpses of the things that he's conquered in you. So that's why we ask these three questions. The first one is, where do I hide? The second one is, is where's my hope? And then the third one that this section I think is begging us ask is, how is my heart? How is my heart? Is my heart too overwhelmed with anxiety and stress that I can't even enjoy this? Is it too overwhelmed by the chaos around me? Too anxious about the threats? Or is it still? Is it confident? God is our God. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's God. How is your heart? Is it able to sit in this truth and enjoy it and be confident in it? You know how you'll know? Is when the storm billows roll in and the earth gives way. All you feel is gladness because you're drinking from the river in the city of God. So we have these three questions. Where am I hiding? Or where do I hide? Where is my hope? And how is my heart? Now those are things that I've extracted and was personally devotion, in my devotions from this text. But, but if there's anything that this text is trying to convince our hearts of this morning, and this is the final truth, right? And this is, this is where we're gonna wrap up, right? This is the truth. In the God who is with us, we are safe. You know you're safe? Right now, you are safe because God is with you. You're safe. Though half the world wants to vilify you, you're safe. Guys, so what I, what, what, what I wonder is if, if you're able to say, I am safe in him. If you're able to be confident in that, I am safe in God, I am safe in him. Can you repeat that phrase, I am safe in him? Repeat it back to me after I say these things. The earth, though the earth gives way, though enemies come against, though the bank account's running dry, though my marriage is a wreck, the diagnosis is cancer, even when I can't shake my sinful habits, or when I lose my job, or when death surrounds me. Is that where your heart is today? Guys, it's one thing to confess that our God is a refuge and a strength. It's another thing to resolve, therefore, that we will not fear. You see, confessing what we believe is easy, but, but bringing our hearts to feel the confessed security, that's monumental. Guys, this psalm is daring us to believe in God when the ground falls out beneath you. You know, the author of Amazing Grace, John Newton, he said this, if the Lord be with us, we have no cause to fear. His eyes upon us, his arm over us, his ear open to our prayer, his grace sufficient, his promise unchangeable, under his protection, though the path of duty should lie through fire and water, we may cheerfully and confidently pursue it. Is your heart confidently still in this? Is your hope in that coming city? Is your hiding place God himself?
You see, all of this wouldn't be possible were it not for Christ himself. All of this revolves around Christ Jesus. We'd have no security, no refuge, no strength in God, no ability to access any of it were it not for Christ Jesus. We wouldn't have access to the refuge that is God without Jesus. We wouldn't be allowed into that city to enjoy its waters and its king without Jesus. We would never have a heart that would be set free from death were it not for Jesus. So in reality, our only security in life and death is in Christ. It's in Jesus. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.